Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. I am your host, Peyton Guthrie, joined, as always, with Alan Kinney and Matt Burton. Much shorter of an intro that time because I'm a little worn out from having to uh, mow all day yesterday uh, after taking too long of a break to get out there. But uh, let's jump into the uh, the pleasantries. Uh, Alan, how's it going, man? How's you doing okay? Oh, man, I can't complain, you know, another day. Uh, no, I was actually outside doing yard work myself, so uh, I, I feel your pain. But uh, ready to talk. Uh, we got it actually for, for uh, you know, week in June, we've actually got a lot to talk about. So looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, as I was putting the show notes together, I was like, oh, there's actually stuff to do. There's things to talk about that are like real life things. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Indeed, man. A lot of football, a lot of baseball. So, yeah. And then Matt, our ever, ever, ever loyal producer. Oh, yeah. Always loyal to us. That's not like a tease or anything. He actually is super loyal. I'm doing well. Uh, no yard work since I moved into an apartment. So uh, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, empathize, with you. I empathize with you there. Um, but uh, is this it a weekend- gated community? It is not. It's not gated. No, okay. It's making sure. <laughs> no, 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 not that. Not that nice out here. But, um, but yeah, man, just hanging out, working on the radio station this week, and yeah, that's that's really all I got planned. So, uh, you know, on the radio stuff, and I heard a little bit, but not a ton. I mean, obviously, not living in the uh, the, the great metro of the Oklahoma City. Um, how much did you guys give any conversation to the? potential Kevin Durant coming back to Oklahoma city <laughs> fan casting fantasy oh, stuff. Obviously it's not going to happen now, but I mean, I know there was some vibe on Twitter. People were saying like, Oh, what if he comes back? Wouldn't that be cool? Was we, there, did you guys give any time to that? Yeah. I mean, we touched on it, but it, it's just not going to happen. It's just not in the cards. It's just not in the cards. I'm sorry. But like, even before the Kyrie news just came out uh, today that he was staying with the nets this season, but, um yeah it it just wasn't gonna happen they were gonna want i think just a lot more than oklahoma city fans thought (laughs) that oklahoma city fans do they they're like oh we have a million draft picks like what what what's the deal we can make any trade happen i'm like that there's just more to it than that the the nets don't (laughs) the nets don't own any of their own picks so they can't 
control any of their destiny. So it serves them to want to try to still compete and win. Um, So they would like, you're, you're talking about Shay and maybe Giddy and then some first round picks. Like, so it's just like, not, it's just not in the cards for, right. We'll just watch everyone else play that. Any package. Yeah, I mean, any package for him is going to have to be just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, like, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, I mean, he's pretty clearly breaking down physically at this right. point. I mean, he's, he's 33 a, and he's still still signed, a great player, for, but... yeah, signed for four more years. So he's going to be 37 by the time that contract's up. And I mean, he's missed what, a, what at least one full season, right? Yeah. In the last couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and it's not just yeah. any injury, it was an Achilles injury, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff that's a little wild. It's like that funny tweet. <laughs> it's like, you know, me being 34, Alan being, what, 35? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> helping you out. You know, it's like, oh, you're entering the prime of your life and everything. And it's like Kevin Durant, 33, body's breaking right, down. Breaking down. Yeah. How much longer can he last? <laughs> They kept saying that during the during the finals when they were talking about Al, Al Horford, it seemed like every time they were like the thirty five year old wonder. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> God, like, He's like on oxygen and stuff. Yeah. Like the out. <laughs> That's yeah. You're talking about the, the type of package that uh, Kevin Durant would have to get. I mean, the Spurs right now seem to be shop. I mean, obviously shopping Murray around, but there's an idea of him, them uh, trading Murray to the um, Hawks. to the Hawks for three first round picks and a couple other pieces. I mean, Spurs are entering just, are entering the rebuild. They're they're yeah, they're yeah. which means get ready. Yeah, 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 which means Pop's gone. Uh, Pop's not going to be a. I don't think Pop will do a full full I rebuild like so that. Either. So super sad, but it seems like the full tank's on, and we're going to get some uh, some uh, French guy in for number one overall pick. Some like hey. Weebly or Vibly or something. I'm not, Victor Victor I, I the name That today. kid is that kid is the real deal, man. But no, t- uh, welcome to the tank. To the tank job, Peyton, you're, you're oh, a yeah. Spurs fan. Welcome, welcome to the tank job. Welcome. It'll be. I, I'm assuming it's going to happen like all the other Spurs tanks drop. So like we tank one year, we get the number one pick. Yeah, you get and Tim Duncan and, and championships. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one and done. Get let's start winning. Yeah, you get David Robinson, then later on you get Tim yeah. Duncan, and then you know it all. It all just figures itself out. Yeah, I'm always confused. Then you draft some Euro guys, and then they years. turn out to be yeah. Hall of Famers too. Like yeah. Yeah, there's uh, some friends who are like, man, what are you guys going to do now? I'm like, as long as you keep Keldon, the you know big body, everyone else, just sell them. I mean, get rid of them. <laughs> figure it out. Keldon's the only one you got to keep. I mean, he's like 22 still, big body growing, went to the Olympics last year or whenever, whatever year that was, uh, COVID brain over here. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, uh, I guess, a good time for sports content. And then luckily uh, – I, I guess maybe not luckily for uh, teams who thought he could get Kyrie or got KD. Uh, Kyrie decided that normal people make the world go around, but he's going to take the unbeaten path and he's going to accept $37 million to stay on the team yeah. he signed for. So, I mean, you know, brave of him. Brave, brave. Brave, mm-hmm. brave man. Brave man. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll get some sort of announcement or something like a, a day named after him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but to move on to uh, the, the stuff you guys want to hear about, the University of Oklahoma runners up again in another national championship series, game, exhibition, all the things you want to call a meet, maybe, because uh, some of the gymnastics stuff coming second place. Um, OU losing 10-3 game one and then 4-2 game two. Uh, on both those games, OU combined for eight hits total, 
And I think every other game in the world's, you know, in the little in Omaha, they had gotten anywhere from 10 to 15 hits. I mean, whatever Ole Miss did was to shut them completely down. Matt, Matt give me reasons why I, I should I should be okay with how this ended. Because yeah. I mean, they were super hot and they're rolling into it, and then just got you know curb stomped. But g- give me the goodness. Give me the give me the feel good stuff about it. Yeah, well, just just on the flip side too. It, I mean, Ole Miss was hot as hell too. Like they're, I mm-hmm. mean, at one point, like we talked about, they're number one in the nation at one point, and then they just on a downhill slide. Now, like so, so much so that they wanted Mike Bianco fired. Like they were ready for him to get out of there after he'd been there for 22 years. Like they were wanting him out of there. Uh, it's fine. I work with uh, Jerry Ramsey. I, I worked with him today, and he was up in Omaha for a little bit, uh, covering it for for us at the station. And he like, he was talking to some old Miss reporters, and he literally the old Miss reporter like literally showed him like some saved drafts from that time of like, he had like three different articles written for like, get they're ready for whenever he gets fired. Like basically like whenever Mike Bianco gets fired. So that's just like how close it was. Like they had those articles ready and written um, for him to be fired and he didn't. And then they come back and win the national title, man. It's like, I, I always, the, the team of destiny thing is always like pretty, uh, it's pretty funny to me, but both these teams kind of had that like, I don't know, Cinderella, like just everything was breaking right for him, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, but then, yeah, just the game one, I mean, game one, what, what can you do? I mean, the, the, the swing there um, in game one, whenever like you, you, you think you're going to get out of an inning, you're like, man, if we can just get out of this inning uh, and still just be down four two, we, we feel pretty good about our time. We feel okay. And then literally the commentator was like, yeah, it's it's four two. You'll feel all right if you can get out of this inning. They have two outs, and then boom, home run number one, six two, boom, three seven two, boom, <laughs> and then it just the floodgates opened in game one. Honestly, um, I didn't think Jake Bennett was bad either. It's just yeah. the run support. Simply put, the bats just they went ice ice cold, man, ice cold. And then uh, game two, I mean, we can talk about the bad interference rule. Um, but it is a rule. Uh, it, yeah. it is. A, it is a rule. It, it's. It's. We can be pissed off and mad about it as as much as we want to, but it's a rule. I think the thing that bothers me the most is um, not that it was called. It's more so the fact that the runner doesn't score on that. Yeah. The, the runner has to go back to the base on that. Whenever I mean the Nicholas is sliding into home mm-hmm. as the guy is like about he's not even about to throw it to first like he's transitioning from his glove to his hand to throw it to first so like the run is scored before any interference or anything has even happened so to make to just see that play out and the runner has to go back after all that uh, it's just it's annoying and then i mean right after that man and then you feel good about peyton graham coming up right after that with just one out left and multiple guys on base rather than two outs and you kind of lost momentum it's just like a gut punch right after that um and he pops out and then immediately the next inning the leadoff hitter hits a bomb in gonzalez so it just simply put though the bats the bats just went ice cold man it reminded me of not because it wasn't the beat as bad of a beat down but it reminded me of the ou basketball team with buddy Heald that made it to the final four and then just couldn't 
by a bucket. Like the whole year they're shooting like 50% as a team from three. And then they get to final four and just all, it just all happens at once. It, it all goes wrong at once. And that just, that's really what it felt like to me offensively for, for OU. So I'm going to yeah. talk, go for it, Alan, go. Oh, no, all I was going to say is, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a big baseball guy, but um, it seemed to me like just looking up and down the Ole Miss lineup, like they remind me of the, the old Braves teams that were really good, you know, because they had like, they just had really good baseball players, like at every position. They, it wasn't the kind of thing where it seemed like they had some kind of, you know, we're going to sit around and wait for a guy, you know, uh, you know, big bomber to come up or anything. Like, I mean, it was like, they could, they could get offense from all nine different slots on in the, uh, in the lineup. And I, I was, you know, if the fact, if, if, if they didn't even throw their ace and, and they pitched that well, it showed you, you know, I mean, like there's nothing you can, that, that team is just really, really good from what I saw. Yeah. I mean, so I, I want to hear about the, the, the one thing and it, everyone is super, super quick to defend. Everyone's super quick to like, Oh, if you, you, you should never question the move, but I'm going to question the move. Cause I'm an idiot when it comes to baseball. Uh, <laughs> You've got a you've got a workhorse out there who's dealing in workhorsing, and you pull them out there, and then immediately the game falls apart. I mean, how? I, I guess explain to me. I, I get it; it's over 100 pitches. Humans aren't meant to throw the ball overhead and stuff like that, and I understand that. These are but these are phenomenal athletes who are one percent of the population. Pitches, even like an MLB, these guys are on major pitch counts, and they still get injured like basically the exact the same rate they did before to a certain degree. Uh, I don't know if saving these guys or saying you can only pitch nine, you're only pitch 80 is truly doing a ton. Uh, and again, my dumb baseball saying, um, walk me through why that was a good decision with the season on the line and everything of that nature. Is it like just protecting the kid and that's it purely we're putting it down uh, and like, or, or is there just more to it at, than that, that I'm just not seeing as an immature baseball fan? I'll uh, I'll go ahead and, and defend it uh, here. Um, okay, so Cade Horton. I mean, I there's no other word to describe it, but he was just awesome. I mean, mm -hmm. he he was awesome in that game. 13 strikeouts, I think, was a career high for him. I mean, fastball was great, curveball, and then the slider that he literally learned to throw two weeks ago, and he's throwing it live <laughs> in game. Like he just, he's just, he was awesome, man. He was absolutely nails. Um, so I think he was getting close to hundred pitches. And this is the thing that's weird that it, it might be weird or specific circumstance because it was Cade Horton who had Tommy John surgery. And yeah, he's like, yeah. he's still like, so I think, I think that's what they were. He was already getting close to that hundred pitches and they were probably like, if, if I'm skipped to this, is how I think it went down is like going before the eighth inning where, before he went out there, skip Johnson was probably like, are you good? Like, are you good to go? He probably asked Cade Horton, like, are you good to go? Cause I, I do want to stick with you. If you feel like you're good, if you're not, then we'll get, we'll get someone else in. So, and Kate Horton probably just being a competitor was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Like I, I want to do this. And Skip was probably like, all right, but if you get, if, if someone gets on base, I'm going to pull you. But I, I think that something to that effect was like, cause I mean, he was already up at a hundred pitches. So, and then, yeah, he, he gets an out, then gives up a, then gives up a single and, um, you bring Trevin Michael in. Now, this is where I'm I'm gonna defend it too. 
uh, Trevin Michael is second team All American. Like, I, and throughout this entire postseason run, he if you put him in, he's basically just closed the door on everybody and and saved so many games for them. Like, so he has been awesome. So I, I mean, it's it's hard to not have like full confidence in a guy that, yeah, is second team All American, and he's he's been absolutely awesome for you down the stretch and closing games out too. And it's just, yeah, you have some miscommunications. Him and Crooks were having some miscommunications on what pitch was called. Like he crossed Crooks up a couple times for, for a pass ball or wild pitch. And it's just one of those things where you, you just, with, with that guy, Trevin Michael, who's been so good, you don't really think about that. You don't, you don't think that the worst thing that's going to happen is going to start happening when it's been so good. Um, so yeah, I'll defend it. I think that it was, uh, it was a good call. I think it was just because it was Cade Horton. I think if it was Jake Bennett or Sandlin, if they were pitching that well, it might, they might've kept going, but just Cade Horton with him kind of being off that Tommy John, I think they were just being uber cautious and listen, I, I had a ton of confidence that Trevin Michael is going to come in and close the door, but that's just, that's baseball, man. It just, it just, it just happens. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I, I certainly understand the sentiment watching because he really, I mean, <clears throat> Horton really was out there dealing, man. Like he, I mean, but, you know, I do, I think I like all things being equal. I mean, he got you into the eighth inning, like you're handing the ball to an All-American with who just needs to get five outs. You got a one run lead. Like I get it. And, you know, pulling, pulling your, you know, Horton at that point, you know, I, I it's got to be hard because you, I mean, everybody wanted to see him keep going, of course. But I mean, he's, you know, he's probably draft eligible. He's draft eligible, right? So I yeah, mean, he's, he's made himself yeah. a lot of money. In yeah. This like, too. I mean, I, Johnson's looking, like I said, Johnson's looking out for Horton here and they got what they needed from him, in my opinion. Like, I, I, I you know, I can understand second guessing the move. I, to me, it didn't really matter. Like, yeah, I, I thought it was fine. And he was he was kind of losing some some velocity on his fastball. Yeah. Not, not like – I mean, he's still running up there 93, 94. But, I mean, the first, like, five or whatever innings, he's running up there 97, 96. Like, yeah, I mean, it's not like he – it's not like he wasn't laboring. And on top of that, I believe he was getting ready to see the order for, what, the fourth time. Mm-hmm. So, that's – you know, that's another thing I'm sure that was going through their minds. Yeah, there's the stuff – I, I yeah. I mean, yeah, to tell me, John, that makes more sense. Like I'm bringing up some stuff from a bleacher report back in the day where they had a bunch of different uh, scientific studies and like referenced a bunch of things. And basically that pitch counts and workloads for that are probably overstated to a large degree. But if you're looking at the Tommy John stuff and he's, he's walking out, I, I'm just thinking from an OU fan perspective of now I have to read all these tweets about, we were so close. Remember this team? It was a magical team, but we still lost. It's like, how how many times is OU have to keep walking through that with going to Final Fours, going to these things? And it just seems like it's the, the program, to a certain degree on certain sports, seems to be snake bit in these national championship type things. Um, now, that said, I guess you can always pull like a Texas or something and be like, well, if we would have been there, <laughs> you know, they don't get, you know, get near it or something. Or hey, Tennessee. Tennessee, Tennessee out the, was bad for yeah, baseball. They were bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't have any time for like fans of programs that are just like kind of window shopping. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, like 
whatever, man. Like, come come talk to me when you lose in the finals, and we'll <laughs> you know whatever, man. Like that that is just the ultimate like just loser mentality, in my opinion. That Tennessee one was crazy, man. It was like, oh, we beat Ole Miss and OU by a combined run of like 34 to 7 runs by yeah. combined. I'm like, yeah, you didn't beat Notre Dame twice. Yeah, you, you didn't beat Notre Dame <laughs> yeah. twice. I'm sorry. Like, what, what, do you, what do you want me to say? Yeah, I mean, life is hard, man. You know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they hang the banner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> beat Ole Miss, beat OU. Yeah, uh, cope a little harder. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I get it. It's like, it's embarrassing. I mean, it truly is embarrassing because I've been in places, I'm, I don't know if you guys have, you're in the store, you're buying something, a card gets declined or something like that. And it's embarrassing. <laughs> but at least I was able to get into the store, you know, it's like, at least, you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. it could happen. So life, it just sometimes things just don't work out the way you thought they were. But at least, you know, we passed the credit check to get into the room <laughs> to a certain degree. <laughs> uh, uh, but hopefully soon, OU is able to turn some of that stuff around. I mean, some sports obviously have completely turned it around. Women's gymnastics, OU softball, um, just completely crushing, you know, just the sport in and of itself. Hopefully the men's side of things, men's gymnastics, uh, men's baseball, men's basketball, uh, uh, I guess not men's baseball, just baseball, uh, football, they can start kind of carrying that stuff too and carrying that momentum as well. Uh, I mean, that's hope. But not all is lost for OU baseball, even though you finished runner-up number two in the, in the, fa- in the final 24, final 25. Um, the uh, Kimberly family has donated, made a, a matching donation, so it will end up being over $5 million to renovate the uh, baseball stadium. As someone who's never sat in a baseball stadium, um, how needed is, is this renovation, Matt? I mean, I, I know the softball is getting a huge new thing as well, is this just like that's a huge dump that needs to be redone? Like I've sat inside OU basketball and thought, oh wow, this place is kind of trashy. Uh, I've never sat inside the baseball stadium. I mean, what needs to happen? And you know, how 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 long has this been needing to happen? I don't. I personally, I've never been to to Eldell Mitchell, but um, man, if it's, I think it's just kind of keeping up with the times and with the league that they're going to be in the sec when it comes to baseball is just it's a a different stratosphere (laughs) than anything like i mean you can talk about football as well i mean sec football is king for sure but i mean there there are other programs that you know can kind of keep up with with the joneses but when it comes to baseball there's really not another conference that kind of that keeps up with with the with the sec it's just in a completely different stratosphere so i think you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make a ton of improvements to that if you want to try to keep up in any way i've never been there but i can just i can just imagine yeah i mean that's that's my understanding too is that this is really kind of needed just based on where he's going to be playing uh when you start to get into you know recruiting for uh sec caliber play uh, the facilities, from what I understand at OU right now, just uh, baseball-wise, aren't aren't quite there. So, uh, this is the kind of thing that uh, is is necessary, and I'm sure that uh, they're really looking at that up and down every sport, right? So, I mean, if you can get something like this, where you know it's a chance to have a really competitive program, really competitive league, uh, you know, you got to take it. Yeah, it, it is kind of cool just to see. I mean, there was a bit of a worry if the listeners have uh, kind of recall back, I was a little worried about the attention being split between NIL spending 
and Sooner Club spitting and the how's OU still going to keep funding these things? And it turns out, maybe it's kind of what we talked about earlier, money just kind of falls out of the sky when you ask for it <laughs> at certain locations. Because uh, I, I was, you know, I mean, OU does need major up, like, uh, major upgrades and facelifts across the board, uh, in, in my opinion. It, it was great for a Big 12 program, obviously, but walking to the SEC, you know, OU's facilities is not in the top third at this point in time. Uh, it's just, in my opinion, looking at some of these stadiums, looking at some of these things that they have across the board. You know, OU, I mean, I, I like Gaylord. It's fun to walk into, but you're looking at places with 100K, you know, things like that who are just like rocking and rolling. I, I don't know if I'd ever want to go to the swamp other than like one time because <laughs> it kind of looks like a shaky place. But yeah, some of these places have this extra thing to them that maybe just being so close to the to the OU fandom and OU kind of program stuff, I don't necessarily see OU in the same way. Like, I don't see, like, where's Touchdown Jesus? You know, where's the Pasadena, you know, the mountains in the back and stuff like that? I mean, it's like, it, it truly just kind of out there. So, I, mean, I think OU does need all this stuff to kind of uh, keep up with the Joneses to a certain degree. Uh, and if, if OU starts bringing in an extra 50K, uh, extra 50 million a year based on the TV deals or something, maybe a little bit easier in doing those things. Uh, speaking of a team that's getting ready for SEC and it's recruiting like an SEC team at this point in time, <laughs> uh, the Texas Longhorns brought in the number one overall commit, uh, Arch um, Manning. I believe he may be related to somebody who played in the NFL, maybe one or two of them. Uh, but it, it, now we're getting ton, which I find somewhat comical, tons of this is program changing. <laughs> University of Texas got a really high-rated player. This is amazing. Uh, Alan, should I be should I be freaking out as an OU fan, thinking, "Oh, they finally figured this out. Sarkis finally, he's the one. This is it. A bunch of twelve and one seasons down in Austin. OU needs needs to hold on for dear life." Uh, I mean, it, it's a big deal for them. Clearly, I mean, because it's not just Arch Manning that they're getting here. Um, and I want to be clear, like. First of all, I'm not some talent guru. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I definitely see a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of tools there with me and everything, you know, mm -hmm. but the idea that uh, he's like one of the best quarterback recruits of all time to me is, I, I think, a bit like tap the brakes on that. But anyway, I mean, clearly it's having this knock on effect in recruiting where, you know, Texas is also landing. Uh, a lot of other, you know, blue chip type players, uh, you know, I think that we counted it up before the show. They've landed something like eight blue chippers in the past week uh, since Manning committed there. I mean, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at, but I don't know. I, I always with Texas, it's always like, oh, well, like we've got this, we've got this great recruiting class. We've got this guy or that guy. And now, now we're going to win. And it's always like, well, there's a whole lot of stuff in between that part of it. Like, I don't know, man. There's just something like you got to actually like do the work and like actually go out and perform. And I just every time it's, it's always kind of feeling like, I don't know, you're getting sold like some magic beans. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, now that we've got this, we, you know, all of a sudden, well, of course, everything's going to work out. And it's just, yes, without a doubt, 
talent and you know recruiting is the number one thing that your your program needs to you know compete for national titles but like that's never really been texas's problem so what what are why is this all of a sudden so much different especially when you consider they just landed the guy who was supposed to be the <laughs> who was supposed to be arch manning before arch manning and quinn yours yeah that's that's the one that i'm i'm a little worried about for them i guess i'm not worried about i hope it happens the way i think it's going to happen you're supposed to put like a filler guy in between your two good guys <laughs> just so yeah. you have time now if the number one overall recruit wants to come you take them but this, I mean, if Ewers is like just good and not, you know, fire and you know, setting the world on fire, there's going to be an issue there pretty much immediately. You know, I mean, who's starting who? When are they going to play? And that's just talking about in, you know, 23, we're already, they're already going to have a, a QB controversy if there's not a clear, clear delineation of talent and skill immediately. And that's just another thing. It's like it's it, there was a, a funny meme I saw on a, a Twitter today about the Lakers saying like Lakers making all the wrong decisions and it steps on a rake and the rake says wins championships. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, but the yeah. thing is, Texas isn't that way. They can keep getting all these embarrassment of riches and then just fuck it up. <laughs> it's, yeah. And it's just an amazing thing. But like every single Longhorn guy I follow and I, I, I do like a lot of like Matt Finger, especially because he's he's much more. Uh, realistic about it uh mm-hmm. you know there everyone's like hey this is just like when mac was here this is like we're rolling dudes in now like they're, we're getting like eight nine guys all committing like in the same two-day period and they're all four and five-star players and it's like did you guys not forget you all rode him out of town and yeah <laughs> so <Right>. hard <laughs> yeah um, well so- and like the the start of mac's downfall really you know came after <laughs> the national championship game when Colt McCoy got knocked out of the game, they lost to Alabama the next season, you know, he had, uh, I mean, you know, one of those just all timer prospects at quarterback in Garrett Gilbert and they could not, I mean, that literally started his downfall right there because they, they couldn't get him in position to succeed. But the thing is he went other places and did well. So, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I, it's uh, again with Texas, it's always, I've never really felt like the caliber of talent or the caliber of the players that they're bringing in were really the issue. Um, so like, I don't know how Arch Manning necessarily changes that, but there's going to be a lot of issues kind of all around him that they need to really get taken care of, you know? Yeah. Also, I, mean, especially- if, if I know, I know this is, we all want to, and I, I do too. I, I like dunking on Texas. It's fun. It's awesome. Yeah. I do, I do not <laughs> oh, like Texas. Time. It's great. Um, but if he does actually bring Texas back, that dude is a legend. Like he, he has, he has surpassed uh, Vince Young. Like he is, he is a legend beyond all legends. If he, if yeah. he actually does win at Texas, like, I mean, Oh, absolutely. The, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying there's a very real possibility there, but I mean, if he is like, if he actually turns out to be, oh, wow, this guy is the best quarterback <laughs> recruit of all time, like, could happen. But also, on the flip side, too, if his name was Arch Burton, yeah. is, he, is he the number one recruit, number one recruit of all time or whatever? Like, who knows? Or is he yeah. like the fifth or is he like the sixth or seventh 
best quarterback in that class. Who knows? Yeah, the name carries the weight. I mean, obviously, the dude's – I mean, I'm assuming he's talented. The only thing I've heard negative about him is that he's – from my understanding, how it's been spoken to me, is that he's basically playing against a bunch of traffic cones uh, you know, on his, yeah, at his skill yeah. level and everything. So it's kind of like hard to really see if he is what he could be. But the stuff I think about is like, man, Ole Miss just embarrassed themselves – you know, with, with the, the Eli Manning weekend and it had Manning on the end zones. And it's like, of course it was the Eli quote unquote Eli Manning weekend when really it was, it was the official vision of arch Two there. And it's like Manning, everything Manning on the field. It's just complete embarrassment. I mean, I guess you got to go for it when you're, when you're try, at that level of school, trying to jump for the next thing. But I mean, to do all that and still just lose out on them, it's just, it just has to be soul crushing. I mean, Lane Kiffin, like when he was, you know, being kind of batted around for some of these names from these jobs and stuff, that type of stuff. If I were him, uh, if I were him and I wanted to leave, I could see myself thinking pretty quickly, oh man, you can only win so much here at this school, you know, at Ole Miss or something like that. Even after you completely just drag yourself around on the floor begging for some, <laughs> some recruit to get there. But it, it just seems like every, Everyone, because everyone's chasing the name and chasing the clout of it. But really, the story is to me, last year they got five offensive linemen who are all pretty good, seems to be all pretty good. And this year they've already got four signed who seem to be all pretty good. I mean, that's yeah. where all of it's going to change. No one's really mentioning that. But yeah, if they start getting offensive linemen in the NFL, that's probably going to have much more of a difference, uh, program changing ability than whatever Manning may or may not become. As you talked about the right. Vince Young stuff, I mean, Vince was able to outperform his entire team with his skill sets. I don't think Manning is that type of player. I think he will need a, a strong support system around him. And Sark does seem to be getting to that point. Like last year, right. I, I was thinking, oh, they kind of lucked into that class because they got a couple of Oregon commits, you know, some, some people kind of messed around. Uh, some things were happening and things were kind of falling into their laps. This year, it does seem like they're earning this recruiting class much more. Uh, and I don't know if it's a direct response to Texas A&M or not from last year. Is it, um, is it, is will it be week three or week four when the, uh, we want arch chance start when Quinn Ewers <laughs> yeah. is starting? Yeah. It's will, a, will it's it, a, yeah. Which, which week are we thinking over under week three or four? I don't know. Three and a half weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's it. It actually makes this season really interesting for Texas, in my opinion, because you know that yours is going to be quarterbacking or playing this season with that kind of, you know, hanging over his head that if he doesn't perform or he isn't really good. I mean, look at what happened. I mean, Spencer Rattler, people were talking about him like he was a potential number one pick after, you know, his first season as a starter. Then all of a sudden we saw how quickly like the wheels fell off there. I mean, for, if for yours, you just wonder about, you know, how that, if that impacts his confidence. I mean, you know, the part of the thing, like, I don't, I don't necessarily see this as a, a huge, like, you know, problem for Texas to, to navigate because I mean, you know, clearly Manning picked Texas knowing that yours is there. I mean, the two know about each other and everything. I'm sure they met, <laughs> you know? I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I, I don't know if, if that now 
it'd be interesting if Manning's take on that was, well, I'm just better. And I, I'm not worried about that, but it could also be that he just looks at it and thinks, well, I want to compete for the job. And uh, you know, if I get beat out as a true freshman, I can redshirt move along, you know, I mean, do, do whatever. And it, you know, I'm sure that from what I understand, even those conversations, you know, probably even been had that maybe they want him to sit for his first season, you know what I mean? But you also can't really, uh, you know, you better be, you know, if yours doesn't perform that that's when it becomes a problem because, you know, you, you even, especially, I mean, the team isn't going to be down with, you know, a guy who's out there struggling when they think that they've got this, you know, five-star five freshman saying they're waiting in the wings to come in and play. You know, and I'm talking about, in this case, I'm talking about 2023. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, to me, like the, here's, here's the, the more interesting question in my mind is like, is it a good thing for Texas if this extends Steve Sharkeesian's run there as head coach? Because and I and I bring that up because I don't think a lot of Sark is a head coach just personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, recruiting and all that is great, but I just don't know if he's really the guy to make Texas into uh, a powerhouse program. And so like, if, if the idea here is, well, okay, you know, the, he, you know, Manning committed to Texas because of Sark. Well, I mean, what happens if, you know, the next two seasons don't go well and that, you know, I mean, do you, do you still keep Sark on? Does that mean that Manning transfers out if Sark goes it, or like, do you keep Sark and, you know, with, and with the uh, idea that, you know, he's, he's the one that brought Manning there. Like you need to let him write it out. I, I just don't know. I, I, I think that those are the kinds of questions that I think really need to be answered, like, or, or, you know, considered also with all of this, because just, I don't know if the guy at the top is necessarily the right one for Texas. And also would, just I, touching on that real quick. I'm sorry. Do you think weird conspiracy time to put my, our tinfoil here hats on here? Love it. Um, so also I think this is setting up for Arch to actually like maybe start or like putting a whole lot of pressure on him to start because haven't we heard that Texas is thinking about starting like two or three true freshmen on their offensive line? They're they're probably going to have to have gonna, some of right. what they just put in will some of their just recent recruiting class will be on that too deep. Just for so I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just saying it, it might set up for him like Quinn Ewers to like hey man you 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 have all the talent in the world sure but uh, this offensive line is not not good <laughs> not good yeah, at all so, yeah, so yeah. it's almost like set up for him to like hey you're gonna have to overperform a terrible offensive line or not terrible just a young offensive line who are still raw you know right um, take, or take the lumps now right. for them to get better yeah. right exactly and then when arch comes in they'll already have a year under their belts of development and stuff and hey there we go that's my tin, that's we, my tinfoil hat they're using well, I, right now <laughs> i don't think it's too i don't think it's too far off because that's what everyone said sark was doing of casey last year they're like oh card yeah. can't operate just toss casey back there let him take all the hits until this o-line gets gelled together and on the O-line never got gelled together in case he overperformed guard. So that kind of kind of backfired to a certain degree. But we've already kind of seen Sark 
we'll just kind of toss a quarterback out there purely for the idea of I've got next year <laughs> or I've got yeah. a couple games down the line. It doesn't really, the, the like- right now doesn't matter. And to Alan's point, there's another interesting thing in my mind. This just totally allows Texas because Texas had a lot of stuff on them. There are people already saying, could this, could this team win the big 12? Could they make a playoff or something like that? I mean, there was some buzz happening that immediately just in my mind downshifts immediately and now everyone's already looking at 23. I mean, it's like it allows them to say, yeah, this year we went eight and four, nine and three, but man, we got Manning coming in. I mean, it easily allows them to kind of shift expectations. Um, again, just further down the road as Texas fans have to keep doing. Yeah, you know, and like I've seen, I've seen this kind of thing play out before at OU where they win the season potentially with like, you know, three different guys jockeying for the job. It was a long time ago, it was like, Keith Nickel and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, people try to figure out, well, who is it that you should start? And there were always, you know, this, this clearing for throwing the freshman because like that way we just kind of get a start in the future. Like that is the worst idea in college football period. Yes. You've got to, you need to win now. That's what, that's the name of the game. That's where everything starts there. There is no future. There is no tomorrow. Like you are playing every Saturday in the fall, that's how you get momentum, confidence in your program. You don't do it by trying to, you know, save people from, you know, whatever. I mean, you play the guys that need, that you need to win now. I mean, I hate to do the Herm Edwards, but you play to win today. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yes. Always. Yeah. Yeah, You always have to, because there are certain, I mean, as we just saw Ole Miss, unranked to national champion. I mean, there are windows of opportunity and you have to take them, but if you self shut the window, you're just an idiot. <laughs> I mean, you don't know yeah. what could happen now. And maybe yeah, your, college your football, players. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe college football. It has, it has poisoned everyone's brains because it's, or, you know, are, are you in the playoff or are you not? And you're not, if you're not, it's a failed season or whatever. Winning 10 games is a big deal no matter where you are. You know, going to a bowl game is supposed to be a big deal. Winning your conference is a big deal. And I know we have some listeners who prescribe a little more to the to the Brady way of thinking about winning the Big 12 with Bob and stuff. You have to win the conference first. Anything after that is what happens after that. But you have to win your conference first. And when OU moves into the SEC, you're going to have to win your division first and then win your conference. I mean, you have to start at these, at these little building blocks first and winning these games matter more than anything. But I think to answer your point, I'm, I'm on a a tangent about this. I'm liking this conversation (laughs) that that kind of answer, maybe speak to their point. I think text the the head brass at Texas agrees with you. I mean, they've brought in Patterson, they brought in Patterson. They are bringing in former head coaches to kind of make this bring trust of head coaches. There could be an idea of like, start, you do the offense. We're going to worry about the organizational part of this. You know what I'm saying? Like we're going to lift up some of the other head coaching duty stuff off of you. And you're just going to be super awesome offensive coordinator slash head coach while we keep plugging more and more staff positions to make it to where you don't have to be the end all be all of that decision-making. You could kind of see that happening to a certain degree, but I totally agree with you. I'm not totally, I'm not sold on Sark being a program leader in that way. He's had a lot of chances to do it. 
like for some reason lane people are like well lane's his top end talent he's screwed like he's he's all he's gonna be this funny middling coach but sark's basically had the like exact same career path to a certain degree like he didn't rocket to the top so fast but he's had a lot of chances in a lot of places and i guess the the bama you know rehab cycle i mean football only um does work. I mean, it does. Yeah. Once you go through the Saban wash, you come out clean. I mean, to a certain degree. So, uh, but speaking about something that is not clean and is very dirty money, uh, at, <laughs> that happens in down in Miami, uh, more recruiting talk as Miami and Florida, uh, Miami gets a four star, a recruit from, I cannot remember his name, Matt. Do you remember his name? Was it Jaden Rashada, the quarterback? Yeah. Jaden Rashada. Yeah. He's in. Was Matt apparently was very upset whenever Jackson Arnold committed to OU. Apparently, Rashad wanted to go. Apparently, I don't want to talk about. It. Don't I'm don't not, talk about this. Sorry. Apparently, hypothetically, allegedly. I don't. Although, I don't so get, sprinkling yeah. all the yeah. sprinkling all of them. We are not a recruiting. Yeah. We're yeah. We're not I, insiders. I don't get, we are we are fans. We are not insiders. Yeah, I don't want to get like Sooner Scoop sixty nine four twenty mad at me. <laughs> yeah, get mad at me. Yeah, please God, don't do this again. Uh, but a four-star, he who at one point in time was ranked higher than Jackson Arnold. Now Jackson Arnold overcame him. He himself is a five-star. I hope someone writes about that being program changing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but apparently, can't for be program point, changing when it's been happening for a while. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, uh, apparently, signed to Miami with the deal with a nine-point-five million dollar NIL deal from uh, Miami. Um, in an, in the Miami NIL like press release or whatever, basically called out Florida saying they offered eleven million, but he uh, the quarterback still chose Miami. Um, this is not something I thought I would see, and I think it's actually kind of cool content wise um, because there's a lot of stuff where people are saying like, "Oh, these numbers that are being reported; they're only good for the booster to get his ego, you know, served." It's same things like you know, the Peyton Guthrie library or something. It's purely ego. It's just, I gave him a bunch of money. I want my name on it. So that's why they're naming these things out. Now they're naming them out. And then also saying, here's what the other school offered. And he still said, fuck you guys. So yeah, <laughs> that's not something I thought I was going to uh, see that part of it, but it's like, not only are we inducing players, this other school did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, but think about it. If you're this kid and you just signed a deal for nine and a half million dollars with the school, like that is the absolute last thing I want anybody to know. Man. Exactly. Like, you're getting ready to go to college and you're you're getting a check for nine and a half million dollars. Like, I mean, come on, man. Like, that is absolutely not a piece of information I want out there. I don't know. The whole thing is just, I, I, I love the pettiness of all of it. I love all, I mean, the way this, the hilarity that's been doing here. And of course it's two schools in Florida. Like if there was yeah. any doubt where this was going to just, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like these contracts are getting paid in like, you know, timeshare equity, uh, you know, futures and Bitcoin or whatever. But like, I mean, the whole thing to me is just, I don't know. It, I don't know. I, the one thing that is like, I would be very cautious with the numbers that are getting thrown around. Like I mentioned, not only because, well, like we don't know the terms and parameters of any of these contracts. We're not seeing them. And we don't, it really only serves one party to get, 
for that to get out there. And that is the brokers, the agents who are, you know, putting these things together because if it gets out that, oh, well, Miami will give a quarterback nine and a half million, then, you know, you got the the guy who goes over to Auburn or whatever is saying, well, here's what they, here's what they're doing in Miami. So, you know, pay up, like that's the market rate. Um, but the other thing too, is like, what's uh, Tyler Van Dyke. That's the name of Miami's quarterback now. Right. Like, yes. How much money is he getting? Like if, if you're him, are you pissed off? Like, you know, I mean, this, this kid who hasn't played it down here is getting nine and a half million dollars. Like, what am I chopped liver? You know, like, I mean, he's potential first round NFL draft pick. I'm sure they're getting taken care of because didn't Miami pay, uh, Nigel Pack like eight hundred thousand dollars to go yes, play basketball. It's <laughs> yeah. like, Nigel yeah. Pack's a good player, but he's not yeah. like he's not like a groundbreaking like no doubt lottery pick. Like, it's right. just crazy. I mean, well, yeah, I mean Miami has the the billionaire benefactor, right? So I think that's where you know it's kind of like to him, it's like whatever, you know. I mean, these are rounding errors, maybe, but <laughs> like I I don't know. I that part of it, but I'm also just like. I've tried to sit down and write about like a coherent NIL strategy for OU. Like what should OU be thinking about doing? And like, it's just, it's, it's there. It's impossible right now because the lack of transparency um, and just, you know, I mean, the lack of any kind of like, you know, symmetry and laws from state to state. uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I really think this is just going to be this kind of deal where it takes three or four years and uh, just wild kind of like, you know, uh, you, you know, I don't know. I don't even know speculation or, you know, kind of, uh, you know, glamming up some of these deals and stuff like that before we really know what this, how this market works. And if there's a, a good way to pursue to actually operate within it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it, it's something like I mean, what is the ten, what does that Tennessee quarterback think now? I mean, <laughs> supposedly, objectively, and subjectively, a better football player right. is getting paid less now. I mean, does he? De- I mean, does he decommit? Does he have an agent in his ear saying, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, Florida was often offering eleven million, okay, <laughs> and that was to a four star." I mean, like you said. And what what is OU's strategy? What are they doing? I mean, are they going to play this kind of like uh, – I want to see if I can get this comparison right and then confuse everybody. Are they going to try to play this like the United States via Soviet Union and just allow these other schools to spin themselves out of money, <laughs> you know, to a certain <laughs> degree? You know, allow them to break down that way, and then OU kind of swoops in like, hey, if we didn't – we weren't acting like a bunch of idiots <laughs> when all this stuff was going – but yeah, it, it, to, to the stuff you're talking about, like how do you write a strategy about this stuff? Not only from a law perspective, but how many egotistical people with hundreds of billions of dollars will throw it at OU football players? Like that's the, that's the strategy you have to kind of figure out. I mean, do they have that thing? Do you know? Is there a Phil Knight? Is you know? Is there a boot? I mean, you know, you know, rest, you know, rip in peace, Boone. You know, is there something yeah. like this to kind of do that stuff? And also, man, yeah, I just thought about that. Sad for Oklahoma State fans. I mean, yes. if this were 20 years earlier. Oh, yeah, man. They've got Golly. a national championship, maybe. I mean, just, right. you know, I mean, this fixes all the recruiting problems. Just get the rich guy to pay everybody. <laughs> well, and, like, the funny thing is, is, you know, like, that's 
in theory what the collective is for, right? Like if if Oregon has Phil Knight saying, okay, well, here's, you know, you've got an annual budget of that I'll pay $25 million, do whatever, right? I mean, you know, if you have a, if you're, if you have a collective where you don't have maybe one Phil Knight, but you might have enough guys, you know, that can kind of get together and offset that, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's where I, you know, like a, a, that type, that type of collective thing can, can really help. I, but I just, like, you know, I mean, think about like the, the Texas football players who are part of that pancake factory thing. Right. And they're getting like $50,000 a year from that. Like yes. you start to think about it and it's like, how are those guys going to be pissed off now too? Like, I mean, because in theory, Texas needs those guys a hell of a lot more than Miami even needs a court. Oh, like, I mean, sure. you know, yes. like the event, the value that they bring to that program, like, and, and so like that, so then you start wondering, okay, well, are these, how, how ironclad are these contracts? Are, are kids just going to get in the transfer portal the first chance they get, you know, I mean, and, and go back out on the market and, and like, I hope they do, but because of the way that, you know, just my own personal, like, you know, sentiment on this, but like, if you're OU, how do you plan to operate in that kind of environment? I just, I feel like the programs that are going to end up doing well are the ones that are, you know, kind of able to take care of everybody, but, you know, offer something like you cannot have a culture, I guess would be the way I put it. You cannot have a culture built around that because it's, it's, it's too unstable in the long run. And maybe that's why we haven't heard a lot about OU what their what their plans are and everything like that i mean there's uh, only one initiative right now I, there may be a, a collective i apologize now I, there was rumors of more and maybe i've i've missed them but everything does seem it was like that initial announcement some fire and fervor and now it's been kind of like tamp, tamped down to a certain degree it makes me wonder how much ou athletics themselves reached out to these people and said calm down let us try to run this as much as we can. And we'll let you guys know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, what needs to actually happen. Especially if there are being laws introduced to try to allow schools to have direct oversight of these collectives and things of that nature. Um, which at that point in time, I, can, I think we've mentioned it before, just, just allow the players to collective bargain, get them on contracts and uh, let's go to town. Let's just do it for real. Um, now we're, uh, we finished our weekly segment about the NIL. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully some of these rich kids can uh, buy me some um, uh, better dessert options than what I've been trying to get you guys to uh, jump into. But let's talk about uh, another Crimson and Cream Machine article. Hopefully we can get them on the podcast uh, uh, or, or pay restitutions for us uh, promoting this. <laughs> Alan, a great little article I read it about the uh, how teams win, how that matters much more than just their ability to win one-score games. Um, I think that is something – Kind of you mentioned there, and you you, tw- you uh, added you embedded some of the Parker stat stat mm-hmm. war stuff in there about you know the theory is it's a good team that underperformed or a bad team that overperformed uh, somewhere in there. I tend to think those one score games are more maybe it's like this mythological story building I have are more coaching stuff. I mean, to me, better coaches tend to have better uh, records in these one score games, but. Walk me through a little bit about what you're doing, what you're kind of like the mental exercise you're kind of putting to this about the how teams win versus just being in these one score games. 
Right. Well, the the, the conventional wisdom is, and it, it, it's borne out through history, that if a team has just, I mean, you know, completely blows it out the air, pardon me, yeah, completely, you know, uh, goes on a magical kind of run one season where it's winning a bunch of games by seven points or fewer. Uh, the, the next year that team is going to, uh, you know, I guess underperform or not even underperform and not even be the best word, but that that's a team that's going to take a step back, right. The following season. So, you know, I mean, the way I, but then you can also, kind of tease that out different ways. For example, like Bill Conley back in the day, kind of, I mean, he has a, a stat called, you know, expected win percentage. And basically it's mm-hmm. plugging in, how did your team play and versus the other team and what, you know, what generally, if you play that way, or if you have, you know, those kinds of results, your win percentage is expected to be X. Right. And so, you know, especially when you're talking, if you start, if you think about it, if a team wins 12 games, right. I mean, you can't, you can't have an expected, expected number of wins better than 12. Right. So, I mean, naturally there's going to be some negative, some negative there. So then maybe your numbers like 11.2 or whatever. I mean, OU was up in that range last year. They went 11 and two. So where naturally they're going to have fewer second, what Bill calls second order wins. So OU, OU fell though within, you know, kind of a, a good range or a, a, a reasonable range there of one point of nine point eight, right? I know this is kind of convoluted, but so you know, OU also had a six and one record in one score games last year, right? So you kind of got two different ideas here. One saying, well, OU didn't really have like a counterfeit record, so to speak, and the other saying, well, they're you know, which would mean okay, look out for next year when they might fall back. Versus this other trend that says, yeah, no, OU, I mean, teams that, that do that, you know, tend to tend to fall back. My my bigger question, though, is like, or I think the bigger point is like, OU should not have been playing that many close games last year. I, you know, I mean, I do think that there's something to coaching, like you mentioned, in terms of good coaches are often able to get their teams when they're overmatched or when they're outmatched, you know, to play within you know they they'll be able to find those edges and on the margins where they can get closer to uh you know potentially be in position to upset a team you look at how like nebraska played last year against ou where they really milked the clock and where they they forced ou to kind of also put together long drives stuff like that um you know kansas state has have been bill snyder was a master at that so in that sense you know you, you want to be able to go in and just, you know, play so well that teams can't even do that to you. And OU didn't have that ability last year. It just, they, for whatever reason, they had a, you know, they just let teams hang around. So anyway, long story short, uh, my, I think that like, if OU, if OU comes out this year and you want to see more, cases where they're not just letting these teams hang around and stay within striking distance, I guess would be my, my larger point. And if OU has, if OU loses three games this year instead of two, but they, you know, have gone out and really, you know, blown out, blown teams off the field to start the game to air in most of those wins and most of their wins to me, that's a better outcome than scraping by again, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It's something I, I've thought about too. 
especially with with this new offense, with the new offensive coordinator, and with and this is the new staff in general, Brent Venables and the staff coming in. I don't know if you guys had heard that or not. Uh, <laughs> the new head coach. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's there does seem to be in just looking at it. There's going to be a ability to fall in love with the boringness of football and fall in love with um, just stick with what works, you know, keep, if they can't stop it, keep, keep doing the thing they can't stop. And I think what we've seen in a little bit, cause I want, I did want to push back on you a little bit of a Twitter exchange. I think we had with some other people uh, just about the uh, undisciplined nature of the teams at times of mm-hmm. under Riley and that maybe that being a reason why they kind of fell off look at how the Miami Hurricanes beat people back in the day. And I don't think you would ever say they were very disciplined in any way in nature. I just, for in, you know, I mean, there's, I think they would, you would, or even like how the St. Louis Rams would be to a certain degree in the early two thousands, they'd, they'd be very penalized a lot, but they would always win by bigger numbers because they kept doing what always worked. Like they kept give the ball to the good player <laughs> like every mm-hmm. single time. There wasn't a lot of like, um, you know, fuckery to a certain degree about right. like, let's try, let's just try a bunch of stuff. Let's start workshopping things. And I think maybe some of that stuff under Riley was inherently on him and his mad scientists kind of quota. Like, I don't think you could see some of those other teams being like, well, they only were penalized one, one time a game. These were amazing. It's just, they had a lot of talent and they just said, let the talent play to a certain degree. Um, and I don't know if Lincoln ever kind of fully allowed that to happen, except maybe under Kyler, because he Kyler was kind of his own little mini offense on his own. But to me, that'd be the one pushback there. I don't know if right. one score games means you were a sloppy team or something, because it, it could. I guess it could mean a bunch of things. I, I don't see OU sloppiness as a reason to why they're in so many one score games. It was a bad defense, and you had an offensive coordinator that just wouldn't feed a ball to a running back who was hot. I, yeah. And you know, I think that that is, there's probably, there's definitely something to that. Uh, there were some decisions though. I mean, okay. OU goes up by two scores against Kansas state late in the game and they get a penalty, you know, on I believe True. it was on that. And then, but, but then they kick deep to the best return man and it may be in the country <laughs> and he goes and takes it back for a touchdown. All of a sudden now OU's, up by one score over Kansas state and Kansas state's kicking, you know, has a chance for an onside kick. Like, I think that there were some, <clears throat> there was some inattention, I would say maybe then on the margins, mm-hmm. things like settling for 55 yard field goals instead of, you know, you've got the better team, just go out there and, and get two yards you need or punch this into the end zone and, and make the other team go 99 yards as opposed to, uh, you know, having Gabe Burkich out there, you know, kicking a 20 yard field goal. I mean, that's the kind of stuff where like there were, there were just decisions I probably made in game that I felt like didn't necessarily maximize or use opportunities to extend leads or to, um, you know, put pressure on the other team. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I, how you had it kind of unlock something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you're if you're going to kick a field goal because you think you're the better team and that the over the course of the game, it won't matter, quote unquote, as much. Yes, you can stop them or you can get plays. So that's why you're kicking the field goal. If that's the if that's the beginning thought process, then to your point, just go get the two yards. Then you're the better football. Yeah, team. right. <laughs> like, what exactly. are you doing? Yeah. 
I mean, to me, you're settling for those field goals if you're think if you're the underdog to certain. I mean, if you're like, we've got to keep it close, we got to keep it in striking distance. So, like, maybe one play breaks our way and we can win. So, yeah, so I guess there does seem to be some like self limiting, some of that self. Yeah, I agree with you. I was, off. I mean, like, well, no, I don't think, but I don't think you're off. like, this is the whole thing when people say, like, well, Lincoln will let his foot off the gas in the middle of a game. Like, I, and I, I think that intuitively we can see that, but like, what does that really mean? You know what I mean? In terms of what we're seeing on the field, uh, you know, is it about tempo? Is it about uh, play selection? Is it, you know, I mean, is it about how you orient the defense? I mean, things like that to me, like, I, I don't like those types of kind of wishy washy, uh, reasons for why a team might underperform or let another team back in the game because, like, I just it clearly how, how do we even begin to define that? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, the foot laying off the gas thing. I think I replied to you about it was more mm-hmm. him, more looking around, be more tinkering around the stuff. Yeah, I think, the, and I think that there's something to that. Yeah. Now, if the quote unquote very the, the much aligned and memed double reverse you know, halfback pass thing. If those worked, no one's saying Lincoln Ryan is like getting off the gas. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden you got double reverse for a touchdown or you have a halfback pass for a touchdown. and know he's up three scores, four scores. No one's saying he's letting the gas off at that point in time. If anything, mm. you can say he's trying to pour it on more. It's just yeah. that he's getting bored with sticking with the yeah. thing that keeps working. Um, and I just don't think that's what's going to happen under this head cut co- under this Staff, it doesn't seem that way. Brent Venables, if he coaches the way he speaks about being very intentional, it's step by step, it's day by day. You keep stacking day. I mean, if that's mm. who he is as a head coach as well, I think you're going to see a lot more, as Assault of Verbal puts it, more crock potting, <laughs> where mm-hmm. it's, you know, first quarter, it's 10 to three, then it's uh, 21 to uh, a 10 and then it's 35 to 13. It's like slowly builds up, uh, you know, blowouts like way. I'm not for sure if it's going to be how Riley would try to blitz Krieg teams right early. Like we're going to score 28 in the first and then hang on. Right. Exactly. And like, I, I, like, I think per, first of all, the other thing about it too, is that, I mean, he's probably an uh, offense coordinator who, you know, studied under our Bryles. And I don't know if you remember what Baylor's offenses looked like when they were really cooking, but I mean, it was, yeah, it did. It did not. It's not designed to turn off. If that makes sense. Like, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. It just goes. Um, I, yeah. I agree with that. And I remember watching those teams and being very pissed off, having to, having to deal with that and mm. a- a- actively watching those teams too, because there's a certain like the bear raid. I'm kind of like uh, icky about it because in my mind, it's like, Oh, that's a softer style team. I remember how, OU combated it. Finally, they just like double teamed Coleman. And then like, he just didn't run routes. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like, well, what are we supposed to do? And it's like kind of mess their offense up. But I, and then I have to, but I do have to remember myself. Those Baylor teams average like 300, 400 yards rushing. Like they just ran the ball nonstop. And that's the stuff I'm really excited to see at OU again a slight smash math style. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of our uh, listed things. We do have some bonus bits. One of them being Adrian Peterson and LeVon Bell have signed for an exhibition heavyweight boxing match, July 30th. Uh, uh, Yeah, July 30th. I did not know the mighty had fallen that far for AD 
to be taking on celebrity boxing stuff. Um, do we have any thoughts about it? I mean, do we need to get like a, a Patreon set up for him? I mean, what's going on? Oh, man. Uh, just a lot of poor financial decisions from what I can tell. A lot of different, uh, it sounds like a lot of different hands out. And then also um, quite an extended fa- uh, family, I guess would be the way to put it. <laughs> with AD. Yes. So um, I, you know, uh, they just a kind of sad situation, but it also explains to why he was always looking for a job. You know what I mean? The NFL, like he, he put a lot of miles on those tires. I mean, if he, if he wants to join us here on the Patreon, that's fine. Like, Oh, for sure. We, we got a yeah. spot for him, an open <laughs> invitation. Man, I don't know if I want to break up the chemistry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is we got a good little vibe going. We got a good little vibe going. <laughs> and then the last bit that I've just seen in front of me, this is uh, the first tweet of this is nine hours ago, so I guess I should have seen it uh, earlier. Uh, per Drake Trotter, um, Houston Texans and now potentially the Cleveland Browns will also see their own suits against the cases uh, – against the people who had their own civil suits and criminal suits against the Sean Watson. So um, that's getting to a point to where now the NFL had been trying very hard, I guess, to just kind of ignore it as best as they could. Uh, But now if you have your own member institutions being sued for this stuff and potentially enabling uh, this behavior, because the team would know, a team would know, it's like, oh, you're not going to, like now it makes me think, did the Houston, Texas tell Watson to say, you should probably find your own massage therapist because you can't treat <laughs> our massage therapist this way. You know, <laughs> that's rough. I mean, that's now we're getting to the point in time where like the Browns and the Houston Texans may just get blown to smithereens if some some of that type of evidence comes out. But as we've seen with the NFL, as with like the commanders, you can just hire your own investigators who report directly to you, and uh, it'll take five or six years for it all to come out. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounded like I think, you know, this weekend they said the NFL was going to push hard on Watson, like a year suspension minimum. Uh, like, I believe they were going to call it an indefinite suspension to us, no shorter than one year, you know? Wow. So, uh, like, I don't know. I mean, even, even settling all these cases, uh, it just, I don't think this one's going to blow over. So, what do we do? I mean, what, what does Baker do? Does Baker. I mean, it looks like they're going to need a quarterback. <laughs> does he does he play out the year and then get a complete fresh start and like make you know he's going to what was he twenty plus million out of it or just eat it, take the cut sounds or whatever, like, take the yeah, bad trade? Sounds like I think it sounds like he's headed to Seattle to me. Yeah. All right, you heard it here first. Breaking news: <laughs> <laughs> getting to Seattle. Uh, if you guys had money, I know uh, Matt lost a lot of money on the KD to Oklahoma City bet he he put in Vegas. So yeah, uh, that future, the future is yeah. not gonna pay out. I don't think. So yeah. if you can get the uh, Baker to uh, Seattle bets, maybe I'll counterbalance it. I need to go to. I need to. I need to get with my bookie right now, and it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough time. It's what some people might call a cold streak. Mm. <laughs> well, hey man, we'll we'll keep you going. We'll keep you warmed up. Uh, but that's everything I've got. That's everything I assume Alan has. You can uh, read Alan's work as always at Crimson Cream Machine. Uh, always great stuff. Always fun to read this stuff. Um, Matt, listen, on the franchise. I think he's on there basically like 24 um, seven. Yeah. I basically, th- that, that's my new place. I live up in their attic actually. So <laughs> I just call it an apartment because it sounds cooler, but 
I live in the attic up there. It's Tyler Media. <laughs> uh, and then I'm always here. Uh, but for uh, without further ado, Matt, can you get us out of here? Boomer.